Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners, I hope all is well and we're continuing to achieve our goals in life. And yet again on this uh, win focus, the subject of goals, it is my immense pleasure to host this episode and to have a nostalgic conversation with somebody that I'm very privileged and proud to have called one of my mentors. And that goes back to, uh, oh wow, 1999 um, when the gentleman in question, Mr Paul Hart, uh, was the academy director at that uh, very very prestigious football club, and as I say, for me personally, it was a it was a boy a dream to to be involved with Nottingham Forest. Didn't make it as a player, but um, to serve under Paul and his culture and his ethos, particularly investing in youth, was an absolute pleasure. And in many respects, that's an understatement. So, without further ado, Paul, a very warm welcome. Thank you. And. Um, yeah, I'd like to start, Paul, if I can, by just touching back uh, 1999. What was that? I mean, 20 years ago. Wow. What did it feel like then to be in in charge of such a, and I've already used the word, and I think it's actually understated, prestigious academy where the, the conveyor belt of talent was relentless? What what was that like to have that? Well, not, not to, I, I took all my, uh, I, well, I took a lot of principles when I went to Leeds United and worked in youth development for the first time. I took predominantly principles laid down by Brian Clough mm. in terms of good manners, you know, good morning, yes please, no thank you, no feigning injury, uh, no pulling shirts, no swearing at referees, all those things that seem a little bit outdated now, but mm. fortunately, well, if people choose to look at those principles or those uh, terms, then even more so now when cameras are everywhere you go and uh, lip reading is uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. prevalent and then they stand the test of time and I still use them so at that point I'd already been at 99 I'd already been in there two years and yeah. made a lot of changes and uh, those principles and disciplines had started to kick in and uh, we started the ball rolling for a what could have been a conveyor belt for many years yeah. if if the club had seen it that way and we were we were rewarded with numerous players playing in the first team you know yeah. so that you know that in itself wasn't unusual for me because i had a great belief in uh, in my staff and uh, and what we could achieve because i'd done it at leeds with far less and uh, based on on those principles, you know, yeah. and then of course, playing football in 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 the right way, which are again, you know, everybody talks about it now. You know, people people come up and you know, it sounds like they've re they've invented football. It's not. It's been there for many years, and we worked very hard at Leeds United to to get the ball down and in difficult situations and play, and we were very disciplined, and those disciplines were five years old when I came back to Nottingham Forest so it was uh, it was about bedding them in 
And of course, the kids believed it. I'm sure <laughs> I talk to a lot of them now, Andy Reid and uh, <clears throat> JJ and Dawson, all that. And it, it was, I was, I was, I was forty odd then, and I, far more energy than I've got now. Mm. And uh, you know, I got involved in everything, and uh, everywhere they turned, they they saw me, yeah. and it was, uh, it was important that they did, and it was important that they knew how to behave and everybody makes mistakes as growing up yeah absolutely uh, but you know ultimately many of them became household names they did yeah yeah as I say from from my part uh, you know as a mentor working with the uh, the late great Jim King it uh, it was a pleasure then but when you look back and reflect upon things and uh, I, I think I can see that even I don't didn't realize at the time what an absolute privilege it was you know, to be influencing and working with the, uh, dare I say, the hearts and the minds of these young young men. Because the thing that sticks in my mind, Paul, and we always, uh, well, I always remind you of this every time we meet, is around that uh, that statement I made. Uh, when and you've, we've written it in our book, yeah. speaking from from our hearts. When I, you know, used to say it to you, sort of every March, April time, that time of year again, Gaffer, and your reply was always the same. Yeah, but we'll send them out the door far better young men than they came through. Well, that was the idea. It was, it, you know, we created good footballers, and uh, but equally, it was it was as important to be to have humility and be a decent person, and and to a man, you know, we I can't remember any wrongans, mm. you know, they are great lads, yeah. and uh, you know, they wanted to learn and they were testing, you know, mm. Andy Reid, one of the strongest mentalities I've ever witnessed. And uh, he he used to test me every day, yeah, you know. But we had we had utmost respect for each other, and uh, and it's important, you know. Trust is important. So no matter what you say or what you do, the trust has got to be there. Well, you, hopefully you say it in the proper way. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, but the trust there, they have to, you know. Ultimately, I I don't let them down. Mm. Yeah. And I think the the epitome, you know, the litmus uh, test of that, Paul, was the record, which was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? And as you say, um, the conveyor belt that actually uh, manifested itself from the academy into the first team. Yeah, well, I had to put my money where my mouth was when uh, when I moved up to manager because I'd been knocking on the door of managers. You know, that, that's my job. I stick my neck head above the parapet. And say that he's ready. Get him in. You know, mm. That's 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 the idea. Not just. I've never worked anywhere just to keep myself in a job. It was it was about kids moving forward and being professional footballers. Yeah. And uh, uh, and we, phew, I don't know. So I put them in. I had total trust, absolute total trust. I knew they wouldn't fail. Yeah. You know. Because you'd worked with them close hand, so you knew the characters, you knew their strengths, you knew the areas of development. I mean, to all intents and purposes, they were like your adopted sons, were they not? Well, yeah, to a degree, absolutely. But they, you know, like I've just said, they tested you, and and young men do, you know, and uh, and I tested them. Mm. Uh, but overall, trust was 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 the, you know, that was the bottom line. But what we had. What was created at Nottingham Forest was a. We played the same way. We had the same set pieces, same free kicks, uh, same watchwords. So every time somebody got promoted, they heard the same, yeah, the same stuff. So when they got to the first team, 
you know, again, very similar, bit, bit stronger and bit faster and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But generally, the, the same disciplines were there. Yeah. So it was the challenge then became less of a challenge, but more of oh, you know. So every time they they moved up, they were less wary, less nervous, and they took to it. Yeah, definitely. So just because um, we'll probably flip all over the place on this this conversation, Paul, if that's okay, um, and I'll ask you random questions because. What, what, what I would like to say is right now, because I'm in a new job, yes, across the river, yeah, and it's important, you know, that uh, those principles are still here. I'm, although I'm not academy manager, but I'm I'm technical director who my my spreads across all aspects of the club, mm. and ultimately, Notts County will be hopefully looking similar. And I mean, I've had conversations with quite a few people and on the strength of your appointment, I've actually gone out there and said, watch Notts County now, be successful. And I firmly, firmly believe mm. that because as I say, I go back, I've had first-hand experience of your your vision and the and, your, um, and equally important, your values that mm. you instill into players, whether at junior or senior level. And that's why I make that statement yeah. because I know in life and in business, John John D. Martini uh, speaks about it. You know, share the vision, share the values. You don't have to like each other, but no. so long as you're on that sheet, yeah. you're going in the same direction, and it's absolute recipe for success. Which is so obvious when you state it, but it's amazing how many people in life and football and whichever care, you know aspect of business you care to mention, people don't do it, do they? But there's a you know. With the people you employ, you you know, especially when things are tangible, as in a football club, mm. you have to show and teach and bring them with you, and hopefully they see what you're doing and 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 take to it. Yeah. You know, if they don't, then that's a different scenario, yeah. obviously. Mm. But ultimately, you know, what you have to have is 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 those people who follow. You know, when when we started out there at Nottingham Forest, we employed staff who young staff who were eager to learn and took to it and and we followed a mantra a, a way of doing things which was you know and I used to have to bring the staff into line and make sure those messages were getting across yeah and it was right the way through it became right the way through right through the, to the educational department through the medical department everywhere we yep. were all kicking on the same pitch absolutely and, <clears throat> and as I say Paul you know it's maybe oversimplifying it to say it's such an obvious approach isn't it but isn't it amazing in life in general and and you know I dare say in football from my uh, knowledge that people don't do it well uh, I think uh, people get confused you know there, there are different styles put out now through the FA coaching courses not generally that uh, I agree with and so I'm, I'm a big believer in teaching and to teach you have to know yeah and to know you have to you have to do your homework, yeah, and then you have to be able to deliver and teach. You know, I'm I'm not one for not stepping in and and teaching a young man from his mistakes mm. because the more I step in early, the less mistakes he's going to make further down the line. Yeah, and so or, or you know his habits are going to be better if I address them or redress them at the early stages. Yeah, absolutely. So. If I can just flip over at a tangent, Paul, and sort of uh, take you way back when to when you made your your football debut as a young as a young fella, 
what was that like? Can you remember the exact details of that? Oh yeah. Well, I had real problems getting a football club. First of all, I was. Uh, I'm from near Haydock Park, which is near Wigan, and my father was a footballer, and uh, he used to travel from Goulburn, which is where we live, to Manchester every day to play for Manchester City to train, and I so I, I had very little idea what my dad did, mm. and uh, then when he finished playing in 1960, we moved to Manchester. We bought a clubhouse that most football clubs then had clubhouses. We bought so my dad, mum and dad bought a clubhouse off off City and uh, in Chorlton Cum Hardy in Manchester and I was seven and then we, we, we kept getting I, I kept answering the door to young boys saying is your dad in? I said yeah uh, can I have his autograph? I don't know I didn't know what they were talking about so I said to my dad what's, what's you know what's, oh well um, you know I play for City and this is what happens if you you know if you're famous and all that sort of stuff so that was my first and then of course in Manchester it was a hotbed for football. Yeah, I started playing at primary school. I had a bit of ability, didn't know how. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how, and took to it. Ended up playing Sunday Sunday league football from ten or eleven, and then gradually progressed. And I wanted to be a footballer. Then my dad was trying to dissuade me all the time because uh, he, it wasn't the great. I think he knew that I wasn't that very good. And but I, I over, <laughs> sort of over. I just carried on, just ploughed on the guy. So I was, cut a long story short, I'd started my A-levels at school. Right. <laughs> uh, That's how late I, I was. Normally, at 14, you were taken up by a, a football club at that point. And so I was struggling. I was writing off for trials to travelling all over the northwest for trials and getting the knock back and all that sort of stuff. And then Steve Fleet saw me play. Steve Fleet was youth team coach at Stockport County who is an ex-Man City goalkeeper. Right. Uh, and I was playing for a senior Manchester boys side, which is under 18, so it's not the normal one. And uh, so he, he came along, saw my dad, and said, I want him off some. My dad said, well, I'm not too sure. So this was at the end of one, 1970, 1969-70 season, was just coming to an end. And uh, they were persistent. Steve was persistent. And uh, got me in for pre-season training that that started the 1970-71 season. Offered me, he said, you can sign anything you want, apprentice, professional, whatever. So I said, well, I may as well sign professional. I said, I, I, I'm not sure if I even took less money to be a professional than I would. I signed on a tenner a week. But but I did it when my dad, they were at Arsenal that weekend, City. And uh, I, rang him, I rang Steve Lee up and said, I'll sign. And then I had to tell my dad. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't too happy, but he said, uh, "Well, you made your bed. You, know, you got to lie in it." And from there, he was very supportive, obviously. But two weeks after that, two weeks after I signed, I made my debut for Stockport against Lincoln City at home at centre back. I, I I was a midfielder, so they played me at centre back. I always remember who was playing. They always had giants playing up front then, and this one was Percy Freeman. He was huge, and he. I think we won the game 3-2 and I th- uh, Jimmy Mulvaney got 3-2 three, three, so I, I don't I think I'd have, I don't think I was very good but I got battered from pillar to post and that was my life for three years right I got hammered by my teammates uh, by the opposition <laughs> anybody were, it was just physical mess I broke my nose about seven times in that period well, five times in that period numerous cuts and mm. and all that sort of stuff 
I've, I've been pinned against the wall by my own teammates for for <laughs> not uh, because they used to get belted up front and they'd come back and say why are you not kicking these and and I wasn't an arrogant person by any means but I said well I'm not here to kick I'm a, I'm a I'm here to play football and I played yeah. football at the back like a midfielder yeah which attracted people at that time mm. and uh, after a couple of years one of those was uh, Blackpool he yeah. saw me play against West Ham in the League Cup at, at uh, Edgeley Park and there was 28,000 on it was one of the, still the best night of my life and uh, we beat West Ham Bobby Moore whoever oh. you wanted uh, Pot Robson mm. uh, or the whole lot mm. and uh, we beat them 2-1 and uh, it, it was absolutely um, anyway Harry Potts was at that game and he remembered so in the season they, I went to Blackpool but there's a long long story for a, de- for a debut but being at Stockport County although it was three years bef- you know before I got a move upwards that reinforced my humility and never ever well I'm sure I got above myself at once or twice in my life but mm. I I always you know it was a grounding that uh, was second to none and got me to appreciate when I was playing I didn't care money's never been a driving force for me but when I was on 10 or 15 pounds a week senior players might have been on 25 yeah and they had wives and children and they had to play to get a 10 pound appearance or a 15 pound appearance yeah they had to play and I, I didn't realize when I first started what their life was mm. I did by the time I'd finished yeah at, at Stockport County I knew I knew what it meant and then of course I got married I was married at 20 when I was 21 yeah and my son was born when I was 22 when my wife was 20 my wife worked in the inner revenue and when he came along she had to finish work I needed I got I got I remember my salary I was on 40 pound a week but I got another 20 pounds a week if I played in the first team Wow. So quite it's quite obvious mm-hmm. I had to be in the first team when my wife job went and that started people because I would do anything then yeah you know I was tough I was never a softy or anything like that but I added something something extra came into my game yeah that appealed to clubs in a higher division at that point so I could play I could always play I was technically very good and I was good in the air and, and I was brave but there's just something there was something extra was added into my game mm-hmm. when when my son was when my son was born well that so, was leverage Paul wasn't it because you'd got to then what I call a real sense of purpose yeah. you'd gone from being a, a football player see where it takes me to actually now I've, I know where this is going to mm. take me because I know where it needs to take me because of my family so that's the power yeah. of that leverage isn't it yeah and I've never fallen out of love with football you know I always remember why I did it because mm. I loved the skill element and, and doing good things and and then what I also loved was uh, when people get behind you and shout your name and yeah. uh, and I've had the other bit as well don't worry yeah, yeah. but but there's nothing you know Leeds United was a prime example of you know when you went down that tunnel at Ellen Road and they played they played that song you know da, 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 we're off on our way we love you and you ran out to that, you know. Mm. And they were, fer- you know, they were yeah. a fervent crowd. You know, you got it if you if you weren't playing well. But when they were there, oh, I've, I've never, you know, it's brilliant. 
It was brilliant. Did you on about Leeds United, Paul? Did you ever play against Ray Ankin? I've no, I played with him. You played with him? Yeah, I don't think I played against him. I might have played against him when he was at Burnley. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I, th I played with him. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I say that bit of nostalgia, yeah. I can remember going to Ellen Road that first year that Forrest got promoted to what would now be the Premier League, the old First Division, and um, Shilton was in goal. He got he got kicked in the head. He was dazed. He was he he'd, he'd gone, and the ref said play on. And Ray Ankin did a a tapping, and I'm going absolutely crazy. And the next thing for my trouble, I got a whiskey bottle on my head. So oh, okay. always when I hear the words Leeds United, it kind of triggers that memory. Well, I, I think I played in the home game against Nottingham Forest that right. season at, at Forest and mm. beat us 1-0 right. and Peter Wythe scored and Peter Wythe yeah uh, and we actually stayed the council buildings outside the there was a hotel then yep. and the, our bus got wrecked overnight right and uh, so it sort of pointed the way to but yeah I remember I remember poor Nottingham Forest were a, were a good side then yeah, yeah, they were. Outside. Certainly from a supporter's point of view, I mean, uh, as I say, going back to my own story, it was absolute... Uh, well, you know the story, Paul. We've put mm. it in the book about you know, my dreams at 14 of playing, and I had a tri trial where Liam, Liam O'Kane, mm. who'd got his leg in, in plaster at the time, presided with Alan Hill. It was a Sunday. And the bottom line is I wasn't good enough. Mm. But I kind of wasn't bothered because I'd, I'd been on the hallowed turf. Mm. That's how crazy it was. Yeah. And I, and I often wonder um, if professionals that kind of just take it, well, you know, we're in, we game, this is what we do, we're professional about it, if they ever fully realise or empathise, is probably a better word, Paul, with the, how the average supporter is on the terraces on a Saturday with a meat pie and the bovril and all that. Well, it used to be uh, that we were closer to our supporters than, you know, it used to take me an hour to get from the changing room at Ellen Road to to my car, mm. uh, and we we were always closer than now. You can't get near a footballer, so mm. I'm not sure how far. But I'm, and then going back to my dad's when my dad played, my dad would be on the bus going from uh, the centre of Manchester to Main Road mm. with and the, with all the supporters, and then he'd be out there playing in front of sixty seventy thousand. Yeah, so life changes. Uh, I think I think players do appreciate supporters. Yeah, I think they do. I think there's nothing. What I just told you about the the Leeds, the feeling of going running out at Leeds United. Mm. I th I think they do feel that. I think uh, people who love football, genuinely, and players who love football. I think players who love football and and have done it because they love play I'm sure you know most of the top players you know you get aggravations in life don't you know in yeah. all walks of life but yeah you know you have to love football to play at the highest level yeah to do to do anything well and, you've got to have that passion yeah, and, and part of that is the embracing of your support yeah unfortunately you know if you play at Old Trafford when there's 75,000 on every week you can't meet everybody no and uh, probably walking across the car park isn't an option anymore because mm. you never get there the fervent supporters these days are far more fervent yeah no I, I can't say that that's not wrong but they probably because they don't see them that often mm. you know they, they grasp any moment they can but no I think they do and I think generally it's not very pleasant when you get when you're getting hammered you know but it's part of the process of of learning how to be a professional yeah then you yearn for the days when somebody will clap you and say well done which is you know it's like a kid in a sweet shop, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Bearing in mind, Paul, your extremely high standards and morals and values, are you okay to very briefly flirt with the Anderlecht situation? Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh... I still think it's been brushed under the carpet. I know that the fella did. We wouldn't have. This wouldn't have come out unless uh, the president of Anderlecht been blackmailed by the person who delivered the money to the referee. Mm. So, you know, if if he hadn't gone to court, if he'd have paid the money to the blackmailer, we'd still be in the dark. That's how sordid it is. Uh, it's a sour taste in my in my mouth. Yeah, just for the for the benefit of the uh, the listeners that may uh, may not follow football, or particularly Nottingham Forest in this context, what that situation was. I think it was the third European Cup campaign, Paul, wasn't it? If I've got that correct, I'm not sure. It might, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't European Cup. It was UEFA. It was the UEFA, was yeah. it? Sorry, I stand corrected. But uh, essentially, the the long and short of it was it, it later come out that uh, Forest were winning at the time, I believe. We were we we played the first, the home leg. We won two nil. Yeah. Steve Hodge scored two, and we went to uh, Anderlecht. Yeah. Two uh, nil up. They scored a legitimate goal from distance, and then there was a penalty decision, which, if you see it now, you know Kenny Swain was nowhere near him. He just dived, hmm. and then they scored another one. I think it was all right. So they went um, three two up. And we still didn't panic, and we got a corner. I took my marker under the ball, and boomed it in the back of the net. With I think it headed it down. It bounced up in the top net. And then at that point, you can see you can see their goalkeeper starting to berate his defenders yeah. because it had gone in, and uh, it whizzed past Bomber's head, Ian Bowyer, and all that. So boom! Really caught it well. And then you hear a whistle, and he's realised. Is is Dosh is his money's down the down the Swanee, yeah, and uh, he blew up. And of course, part of playing for Nottingham Forest at that point was that we didn't argue with referees, or, mm. and uh, everybody was totally amazed. And if you see it now, it just it's absolutely nothing. And I I I met um, one of their players. Uh, I can't remember his name now. A Norwegian geezer who played for them who. Frank Arneson, Frank Arneson, and he winked at me because he played that night, mm. and he knew. And I met him at Ellen Road, and uh, he knew they'd fiddled it. Yeah, and uh, that was many years later, mm. but disgraceful. But yeah. the manager knew, Brian Clough knew. He was. I've never known him quiet. He knew something had gone on. Mm. I think anyway. Yeah. So you've mentioned an interesting name there, Paul. I'd I'd like to uh, start to put the metaphoric whistle in my mouth now for full time. Uh, but just before we do, um, any interesting insights about the name you've just mentioned? A certain Mister Clough. Well, he was he was a very very clever man. Not a coach in what we think coaches are now. Just you know setting up sessions and all that. But a great coach in terms of. Everybody on the pitch, everybody in his team knew exactly what their job was mm. and, and knew the, the bottom line. He produced great players from nothing yeah, or created great players from nothing. And uh, he was, um, yeah, I was only there two years mm. uh, as a player and I, he took me back in for a year as a coach when I was unemployed. And uh, he was a uh, good man. I met up with Gary Charles recently and he was telling me about the dressing room scenario and Cluffy and the cricket ball. Is this when he threw it, he used yeah. to throw it before yeah. the get yeah. yeah. 
Oh, you had to be alert there. Yeah. Take your eye off in your cop for a cricket ball on your forehead. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, to be fair, he must have thought us, we were a bit blind because it was generally a tennis <laughs> ball when, when we were there. But, right. uh, yeah, you had to be alert. You just fling it and, you know, because our dressing room, we used to open the doors, let the opposition run out, and all they'd see is get your legs straight out, sit back, <laughs> relax, just get ready, you know, nice and calm. Yeah. And all that, and they used to look in and think, "What the hell is going on there?" And yeah. then a tennis ball would fly around. You know, yeah. you'd have to, you know, you, get, you keep your eye on it and all that. Is yeah. I mean, my take upon him, Paul, was what I would term. I, I believe he was a master psychologist. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you know, when you look at what he achieved, and you know, some of the stories you hear about, uh, and I don't think antics is a disrespectful way to describe it but they got results didn't they oh yeah no they they uh, you know he had great confidence in himself and his in his procedures yeah and he trusted his players yeah yeah, yeah. whoever he, he picked i'm not sure they always liked him mm. but they had massive respect yeah for him and, absolutely uh, and i had a bit of both i've got to be honest you know mm. well a lot of both you know and, and a sure sign is you know my wife and two children loved him well, as, I, as we come to a close, Paul, um, I always, when, uh, when I have this kind of conversation with um, particularly ex-professional footballers, uh, such as yourself, that big question, um, in life or in football, because to me there's no, there's no distinction between the two anyway, because I think how you do one thing is how you do everything in life. Your standards are your standards and you carry them through no matter what you do. So if you, what would be your legacy, Paul? What would be your, your guiding message, not only to the world of football, but to the world? What did you stand for? I think you, and this has been sorely tested over the years, but I think you've got to stand by what you believe in. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I term, and we've mentioned the word earlier on, purpose. When you've got that focus and that purpose in your life, and I use that, they often use the metaphor of a, a ship in the ocean without a rudder, just being tossed in life's waves. But when you've, when you've got that purpose and that focus and that belief of what you stand for, what you stand against, yes, life seas are still choppy, but you're, you're going to be undeterred because you know where you're going. Yep, you've got to get there. You've got to get there. That's the journey. What they call the journey, Paul, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Paul, many thanks for that. Really enjoyed that. Um, anything you'd like to add before we sign off, before we blow the final whistle? Well, um, using all those, uh, everything we've talked about there uh, in my new position at Notts County, I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, and every ship needs a rudder. Yeah. And I think I'm going to try and provide that rudder. And I'd like to go on record to say that I have abs- if I was a betting man, I'd put my mortgage on it, that Notts County Football Club will be successful. Paul, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhart.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhart.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.